Welcome to episode 204 of No Challenges and Raining. I am Ben Rothenberg, joined by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen, who's back home after Indian Wells. Welcome home, Courtney. How are you doing? Oh, well, thank you very much. It's not that far. It's just, you know, 500 miles away from Indian Wells. But yes, I am home. I'm doing well. And how are you doing, Ben? I'm doing great. I had significant FOMO during Indian Wells, as, you, was... as you knew easily diagnosed I like very early I I truly think that I was prepared to not miss this tournament like to not be missing this tournament I I've been to the Indian Wells for six straight years before this and didn't feel compelled to make it seven straight just didn't you know being now on lap seven of the tennis tour things don't have quite the same you know newness or novel no novelty at this point um and I don't know missing missing Indian Wells made sense to me as cutting out one long 3,000 mile each way trip but then like if you told nowhere in my skipping it did I think I'd get a Del Potro Osaka double on the podium like just the storylines that emerged I think what made it awesome and then getting a Venus Serena match getting all sorts of other stuff it was much better than I think I had right or I think anybody had a right to expect in terms of just storyline on court intrigue and that's what I think I missed the most First of all, the FOMO was obvious the minute that you texted. So, are there any more any new food offerings in press dining? I'm like, <laughs> come on, dude, that's that's pretty low. But secondly, this is why we play the game. This is why we show up because no, you right. never know what's going to happen. You're right. No, I've just I've certainly been to less exciting tournaments than that, and I guess that's all I'm saying. But you're but you're you're right. It, it was a good reminder not to skip too much more, and I'll be back on tour in Charleston, which I'm looking forward to very much, and. The food in Charleston will also be good, so I'm excited about that. It's just, I mean, all, honestly, as you, Courtney, read me for very quickly there, like all I'm just interested in this whole job is eating. So yeah, I mean, there were so many acai bowls that were left uneaten. And you said there it's were like, like there was like a quesadilla stand, like oh, the quesadilla to burrito taco stand was money. It got me through the entire tournament. It's all I ate on site. Wow. I didn't even have to go to the sushi. I think I did it once out of courtesy because I didn't <laughs> want to wait too long. Courtesy to who? To a friend, a coworker okay. who was like needing to go back up. I was like, well, I'm okay. not going to make you wait. So I'll just grab sushi as well. Okay. Yeah. No, it was good. I mean, it was a good tournament. And yeah, I mean, never would I have guessed it would have turned out the way that it did at the start of it. But uh, but I'm certainly glad it was. It was fun. It was. Let's start with the finish. Um, the women's side particularly, which I think was particularly notable the whole way through. Naomi Osaka, a long time uh, subject here on NCR breaks through to her first title at any level like i maybe she won like some sort of like local park tournament at some point as a kid but she didn't play juniors no it was it was definitely the well she says that it was the the first title since maybe when she was 13 and she won some like super c's 13s tournament or something like that there you go okay but Yes, this was her first professional tournament on any level. Yeah. That's for sure. Her first, like, sanctioned tournament, really, even. Like, no juniors at sure. all. So, yeah. first title on any level for Naomi Osaka. Courtney, you were there the whole way. Starting, we circled her in the draw from when the tournament when the draw came out, just as part of a loaded section. And she blasted through that section, which started off with Sharapova and Radvanska. Um, then got Vickery, who beat Muguruza. That was a whole other sort of good story. Vickery was a great story in this tournament, too. How did Naomi Osaka do it? See if you, I don't know if you have an answer, but how did everything <laughs> click together so well for her here? 
because she hadn't been talked about as someone, you know, I don't even think like a dark horse to be winning one of these Indian Wells or Miami titles. No, she definitely wasn't a dark horse or anything or didn't have any notable results that would have been headline grabbing results coming into India Wells, but she had been playing much better and she had been playing much more consistently. Um, and I think that one of the biggest things of, of uh, Indian Wells was just watching this player who is, you know, for so long I've, I've seen her play well only to kind of combust a little bit, um, you know, whether under the weight of nerves or just technique breaks down and decision-making goes wrong, all that sort of stuff. And for seven matches, eight, if you include today's win over Serena um, in Miami, she never showed that side of herself. Um, this was the ceased being a player that, you know, got on the run and slapped at the running forehand when she didn't need to. She could have just rolled it back because she's strong enough physically and fast enough to get back into the court. So in a lot of ways, she ground down a lot of these players. She yeah. she intentionally took a step back against, you know, Halep a little bit against Kasatkina as well. Um, and, and kind of rope doped them slightly, um, just in terms of seeing what they could give and then just kind of counter punching back. So it was super impressive. I mean, just to, to reel off the, the names that she beat and the fact that she only lost one set is absurd, um, to win your first title at a premier mandatory on the professional or ITF or WTR ITF level. It's nuts. It's just wire to wire. One of the toughest sort of murderers rows of opponents I can think of, especially if you throw in Serena as a bonus first round of Miami as number eight, uh, on the sequence, uh, but playing Sharapova first round playing Radvanska again, Sharapova and Radvanska are not at the top of their games right now. It's fair to say, but she, those are both players who I would still have favored against Osaka. Radvanska especially should be the kind of opponent who should really make life tough for a player like Osaka, who has been, more consistent or more just sort of offense over steadiness and Redvanska is perfect at exposing those sort of things, but she was just so good against the kind of players who she shouldn't be. We won't think of her as being good against even Halep who she lost to in Australia. Um, I didn't, I don't know if I saw that match in Australia actually, so I'm not sure it was a beat down. Yeah. But I know the score it wasn't even was, a beat was, down. It was yeah. just, it was the old Naomi. Yeah. It was Naomi trying to hit past a wall and making tons of errors and, you know, and it was over in a flash. And yeah, um, that this is a different, the way Osaka has played the last two, three, four, five weeks um, have been very, very different. Yeah. And her footwork is, the, I think, the biggest improvement and just sort of the patience. Mm -hmm. Like she had, because her footwork is better, she gets in better position to hit balls and doesn't make bad decisions on them. She isn't making the bad decision. I think that's yeah. one, of, you know, if, if you think back at, you know, one of the rivalries that's kind of helped define maybe both of their careers, even though they're both young careers, but one that's definitely helped define Naomi's is with Madison Keys and the number of times that those two have come up together and how there are similarities a little bit in how they play big serve, big forehand, big power. And what you're seeing from Osaka right now is 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 that she's not relying on the power to win these matches. And uh, it's an impressive thing to see. And, and, and a huge credit obviously goes obviously to her for putting in the hard work in the offseason so that she could do play this way. But also obviously to Sasha, who um, I think is, is, has got her ear and knows how to get to her and has a pupil who's willing to listen and learn. And she's learning so quickly. Yeah. And she's proving very coachable, it seems like, which is not something I would have automatically said about Osaka previous to this year, just because the same... Uh, stumbling blocks were kind of there throughout the, her short career to this point in terms of the footwork, in terms of going for too much too soon in a rally, 
playing too high risk, uh, those sort of things. And those have seemed to have been cleaned up, at least short term, very well this year. And she's now in Singapore position, probably, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. She's in the, I think she may be at number six in the, in that, but it's March. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> it's early. But Calm still, down, Ben. Calm down. I know, but I'm just, I just for, I remember seeing someone say on Twitter, I think last year, I forget at some point, at some point where she was taking some loss, I think, or maybe just losing a first set that Osaka was so overrated and they didn't understand why anyone cared about her. And I don't agree with that. Obviously, I've rated her very highly for a long time, but at the same time, there wasn't a real calling card result necessarily to point to for her before this. You can argue with that, maybe, but I think this did a lot to sort of cement her as to use the ATP term, like not next gen, but very much now. It was a very much an arrival moment for her that I just think was was cool because she's been on our radars for a long I still remember I was reminded this week of when she beat Stoser in Stanford and you sent me the audio of her press conference afterwards. It's like you need to listen to this right now. And I had never heard of this person, Naomi Osaka, and it was wonderful. I was sitting in the media tent in DC which is the same week as Stanford, like laughing my butt off at her incredibly endearing awkwardness even then. Like the <laughs> the, the skill set and press has not changed, which I also really appreciate as she's risen. Yeah, and, and she's she's gotten better. She's she's um, getting more comfortable in that setting. Um, she kind of owns the room now in a way that she definitely wasn't doing, you know, four years ago. Um, but yeah, no, I mean... It, it, you're absolutely right. The word arrival is correct in, in terms of what the that two weeks felt like, not just for her, but also for Kasakina as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I hadn't thought about it, but you're right. She didn't really, the last notable or big result that we used to kind of show how good this kid is, is still that result from Stanford. You know, 16 years old, first WTA main draw match, beats Sam Stozer, US Open champion, you know. Um, but after that, she just was able to put up consistent results, beating the players that you would expect a player like her to be able to beat. And steady. I but mean, she, she made a lot of slam third steady. rounds. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She made, I think, um, the first three or four uh, slam third rounds that she competed in, mm-hmm. um, which as, you know, 17, 18 year old is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it was a long time coming. I, I've still kind of got a bit of whiplash to kind of catch up to this new uh this new naomi but um but it was good to see it was whiplash because i think a semi would have been a big result for her in indian wells you know and so for her to get a title is several steps ahead of that obviously and and just feels like uh but i guess that's how it works in tennis or works in sports generally you know things come together i mean it feels crazy being ever having whiplash again after ostapenko broke our necks completely less than a year ago right so yeah, so it, it's good to see, and it, it seems like even just that small step today—it's not a small step beating Serena Williams, but keeping it going in another city, continent away, different conditions in Miami against an opponent who is very intimidating to her with the role that she's, you know, Serena's played in her her life. Just seeing her keeping it going, even just today, I was very—we're recording this on Wednesday night—was uh, I was very impressed by, and I'm looking forward to seeing what she does the rest of the year. What what do you think? Or fair expectations for Naomi now for the rest of this year. Well, I mean, I think that she's clearly accelerated the timeline. The timeline. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think that it's not like these results. I know for myself, one who has, you know, pretty much been on the Naomi train from day one. Um, but, you know, I, 
I think she's good. And I think that she's one of the best, you know, young talents that we have and future, you know, top 15, top 10 player for sure. Um, but I just thought that we were a bit away from that um, because like we had mentioned that things were move along, moving along steadily, but not at a incremental rise that maybe people might have expected from her. And granted, she's only 20. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm going to sit back and see. Um, I know that's a bit of a, a cop out, but this is going to be maybe the first time that we get like consistent good looks at Osaka's game. Yeah. You know, the way that she's playing now. So you can start to get a better sense as to how she's stacking up. But what she's done over the last, you know, two weeks is still stunning. So, you know. And, and the tricky part of breaking out this part of the season is that Clay's coming right up. And that's yep. not going to be, I mean, she hasn't, she's made a third round of the French Open and played. Simona Halep, pretty tough in that third round. A couple, I think during mm, 2016, if my, if my memory is correct. Yeah, because 2017, she lost to Van Oyfang first round there. Yeah, she that might slow her down a bit. And grass, she's done okay on, but doesn't have a ton of experience on grass, I don't think. And she played Venus at Wimbledon last year, right? Um, yes. But just have a huge sample set of stuff on grass, but her game, you would think, would translate there. And then the summer hardcourts uh, should be good for her again as her, her comfort zone. And then the Asian swing, she's also done well in before. Um, so we'll see. I, but, I, but again, yeah. though, I mean, the way that she's playing, though, again, once once you have a tour where Yelena Ostapenko is a Grand Slam champion, <laughs> you're, you're remiss to say that nothing is possible. You know, I mean, in Osaka, that's why even with Clay coming up, you think of her game and you're like, well, if you could just be comfortable in the movement, the game is there. That's the yeah. game that wins on Clay now. That's true. Right? The power game more often than not. So who's to say? I don't know. But I'm, I'm just curious to see what happens for her in Miami. Yeah. It's tough, She's got a tough, tough one next, draw. But... I mean, against yeah. Svitolina, for sure. Um, another player who's, again, this shows how well she's done. When she drew Howell, I gave her, like, no shot against Howell in Indian Wells. Or minimal shot, I will say. Just because of how that Australian Open match went. And how that's exactly the kind of player who she would hate to play and who Halep would love to play. A player who she can sort of wear down and mix it up and draw errors from. Um, but now that the, with how she handled Halep, now I'm, I'm curious. I'm it curious where this, her off. I'm curious. Right. I, I don't know where the ceiling is with this current iteration of Osaka. Because she hasn't, she hasn't been losing sets. She only lost one set this whole run of eight matches to Maria Sakari. And that she framed that set with two breadsticks on either side of it. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't know. She's going to come back down to earth at some point. Obviously, this is – I can't imagine her staying this hot for the rest of the year. It would be incredible. It would be one of the best seasons anyone ever had. She'd be undefeated. Uh, um, that's a stupid bar to set. But, um, yeah, I, I, it's been cool to see. And she plays very enjoyable tennis. And just watching her compete and be herself because you really – as someone who spent time around her off-court – you really sense, I feel like, her personality on court. And it's like a very consistent person to me. The who, what you see is very much what you get with Naomi on court and off. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, <clears throat> every once in a while I'll see got that kind of comment on, on social media or something. Or somebody will say, you know, like, is it real? Like, is this, come on, nobody nobody acts like this with respect to Naomi Osaka and just how shy she is and how awkward she can be. And gosh, I hope she's not listening to this. Um, but, but she knows it, you know, she it knows. too. 
you know, you make jokes about it. Um, but, but I do wonder if, well, I do hear those comments from people and it's just, it's never, it's never ever struck me as not being absolutely pure. It's never cracked. Because it's, it's whether she's in the main press room or whether she's on your on-court interview or just the way that she conducts herself on the court and on the practice court. Um, if you ever run into her, she'll be the last person to, to, to make eye contact. Um, you know, she just, that's just kind of how is how she operates within the world. So um, that, that is a pure human being who's, who's about to deal and try to deal with, with the spotlight that's about to come. Um because because there's every reason for everybody to be talking about her because it's not like again like you know a lower ranked player won Indian Wells because the draw broke apart like this person bulldozed the yeah. draw um so it's uh it's it's pretty for real and it's different and it's different than a Vesnina or a Panetta in terms of recent other surprise champions in Indian Wells because we she had hype we saw her coming well this doesn't feel like a ceiling right and like I will start. say that, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I will say, I there was really never a moment during her Indian Wells run or today against Serena where I thought this kid is playing out of her mind. Yeah. Where she, I was like, oh, you are, you know, just absolutely peaking. This is peak Osaka. It just looked as though she was finally learning how to contain her tennis is all. Yeah. And, and it, that was pretty impressive. And it's amazing how, and I don't think this improvement she made in terms of shot selection and footwork are small improvements. I think she's made significant leaps and bounds in those in those categories, but it's amazing how just that those categories can make everything completely sing. You know how good it can, how close she was in a lot of other ways to being ready to play dominant tennis at this level um, for across eight matches again against four former number one, four current or former number ones, and another former number two in Redvanska. It's incredible incredible thing and hopefully she's enjoying this ride uh, and the other player who made the final daria kasakina or kasakina uh, is a another great story the amount of sort of excitement over this young gunned 1997 um class of 1997 in terms of birth year demographic matchup was pretty cool and they did it in very different ways and i think both of them attracted a lot of a lot of praise for tennis, and unlike Osaka, we were talking about before we came on air, Courtney, this was the first time that Daria had kind of come into a lot of people's radar, I think. She'd been much more um, on the fringes, even though she had had a lot of wins over um, Kerber, number one, then, and other good results, Charleston title. But this was really her breakout moment, her sort of people getting to know Dasha uh, in earnest. Yeah, 100%. I think that you know, when when players get big or once they become part of um of kind of the collective consciousness of of the t of the tennis world, um, it usually is a twofold thing, obviously. Right. It's part of that is is obviously the results and the way that they play their tennis and what they've been able to show people uh, as to why they should be excited about this player. And the other is, in a lot of ways, kind of convincing the people who have the bullhorn so whether that's television commentators or radio commentators or, um, you know, yeah, news reporters, you know, the people who r bring the story of tennis to everybody else, you know, you also need FaceTime with them and, and they need to kind of discover your your story too and, and be enamored and charmed by you and then go put those words out and tell the world about, you know, your feats mm -hmm. of greatness. 
And um, and Kasakin has never really had that opportunity because I was thinking about it before that that because a, a, one of the journalists in India Wells was kind of saying that's the first time I've ever been in her press conference. Oh, she's charming. She's great. And I sat back and thought about it because at first I was about to quip, like, how could that be like, you know, the first time that you've been in a Kasakina press conference? But then I thought, actually, yeah, you there might not be any reason why you would ever have received a Kasakina uh, uh, press conference transcript or had reason to go because it was in the main room or not or something. Yeah, so at least in at least here, she finally got that and 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 she got that attention and uh, she totally killed it both on and off the court. She has a game that people love watching um, just because there's a, there's kind of an artist's heart to her. Um, but yeah, it was it was good. I mean, she beat four consecutive Grand Slam champions. That's pretty good. Got another win over Wozniacki. Also pretty good. Yeah, you can't you can't you can't take away much from from Dasha. She got a little tired and nervous in the final, but what can you do? I just ran some stats on uh Kasakina main room press conference appearances um on using the asap website so any tournament the asap is at uh their press conferences are indexed and before dubai this year um she had only in her career been in the main room with at an asap tournament which is all the slams all the masters events pretty much um in the middle east premier events and stuff like that only three times around the world 2016 Where? Indian Wells, which I guess was a bit of a breakout tournament for her. It might have just been you in that press room, honestly, but she was in there. <laughs> it's uh, very possible. 2016 Rogers Cup and 2017 Sydney, and that's it for a player yep. who and yeah who and again yeah. I would stress again you know with those three with those three events those are not events that the international press corps is going to really hit up. No, definitely not you know Sydney I mean? or like, Canada. Huh? Yeah, I, I'm agreeing. Definitely not Sydney or Canada. Yeah, yeah. No. yeah so, so yeah, India Wells is different, but um, but yeah, so it, in a lot of ways, I think that that was what so was so um satisfying for me, kind of just watching all of this happen, and you know, kind of just getting out of the way as as reporters were doing their stories and and kind of discovering these these two kids anew, that that was really kind of the big win from just the the WTA kind of tennis perspective I think coming out of it was just that two new stars were kind of are were hatched you know I don't want to say born because it's not like they're like oh but like they're kind of stumbling <laughs> around and figuring out their stuff um, but but you know they start poking their heads out and that's good and I think that in that way that was that was a big win for sure uh, let's talk about some older stars first off Kasakina beat in probably the best match of the tournament uh, definitely on the women's side I think men or women either. I was just going to say maybe the men's final surpasses it, but probably not, uh, is her win over Venus Williams in the semis. Uh, Venus played, uh, obviously beat Serena. We'll get to Serena in a bit. But Venus played well in Indian Wells, making semis again. Is there reason, though, to be, and I don't want to take this, I feel bad taking it negative on Venus right away, but is there reason to be concerned about Venus's closing ability at tournaments? She's made a lot of late rounds of big tournaments lately with no titles to show for it. I think between Australia last, obviously Australia last year is against Serena, but still Singapore, Indian Wells this year, Wimbledon, she hasn't had a title in over two years. Is there, I don't know, is there cause for alarm there, do you think? Or is it just bad luck? 
No, I don't think that there's any cause for alarm. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're putting yourself in that situation so frequently as Venus has been doing, uh, you know, you you can't be mad at your effort. You're putting yourself there. I mean, you look at a lot of those, the finals that she did play that she came out second best on. I mean, those are tough finals. I mean, yeah. th- there were no gimmies that she blew, I don't think. Um, so, but, but you know, I mean, that match against Kasatkina never felt that like, I mean, Venus let go the last couple games a little bit when she like was two points away from winning after Kasakina missed that one backhand drop into the net. But um, yeah, I I know I'm not really concerned about Venus at all. I mean, I think she's playing good tennis Mm -hmm. and I think that that the draws that she's been given have kind of um, completely mitigated that um, and made us think, oh, where's kind of Venus been? And I think that it was great to see her, you know, make that run to the semis, play good you know, good tennis. I mean, she was playing really well, I thought, in India Wells and could have very easily have been in that final. Um, but yeah, that's my take on it. No, I think, that, I think that's right. And she is playing dang good tennis. I think that especially showed against Serena um, with how, because that was, I thought, a pretty overall high quality match from both of them for the most part. Serena was patchy in, in that third match. There were Venus beat Serena for the first time in a while. But Venus's forehand looks really good. Her serve was really good. Everything about it was just, was firing, and, and that's a matchup that, like, as famously, has not been the easiest for either of them to summon their best all the time against each other, um, or at least play tennis that was at their most effective against each other tactically, and Venus looked good there. Um, is she... Yeah, I, I, I don't know what else to say about... We don't... I feel, like, I, don't know, I feel like we haven't talked that much about Venus on here recently. I just don't know how to think of this stage of her career what direction it's going in because she's i think she's treading water at a very high level and i guess that's all you can ask does that make sense no that makes sense but no not really i mean if you're treading at if you're treading at a top five player level i think you're doing a okay right yeah that's it's fine um no i mean i think that you know i mean i i i have personally come to the decision many moons ago mm-hmm. to kind of treat this this segment or this section of Venus's career the same way that she's treating it, which is, you know, to just kind of recognize that it's on her own terms, that this is in a lot of ways what, what Venus is doing these days is like so pure. It's she's not playing because she necessarily needs the money or because she is, is her goal is to qualify for this or to qualify for that. It. I really just do get the sense that she plays when she's ready to play. She has her schedule. She's still ambitious. She still has things that she wants to do and still believes that she can do them. But if she falls short, she's not like playing with her legacy here. Like it, it so it doesn't really yeah. matter. And so insofar as that is the case, then it's harder to though than like to export, you know, where she is in the game at the moment and what wins or losses mean. It's, it's difficult to export the meaning of that to the broader thing because I do think that in a lot of ways she operates kind of among like just on her own island, if that makes any sense. And it makes complete like, sense. Yeah, it, it doesn't really – whether Serena, whether Venus is on a win streak or Venus is on a losing streak, I don't think either of those things really changes the discussion surrounding the tour because we just know how good Venus can be on any given week. And we also know that there can be times where she's not. So – it's hard to read the tea leaves, if, and so therefore pointless. Yeah, no, I think that's right, and that's why I was, was such a stammering mess trying to articulate any <laughs> thought about her. And also, I'll say that she doesn't say much about herself right now. She's not a chatty player in press. 
And so she doesn't necessarily give you a lot of insight, which is completely her prerogative um, to be that way. And yeah, I mean, it just makes it tough to know what means what. I mean, her you can find out more from watching her and from her coach, David Witt. We'll, we'll talk a fair amount about different things and how she's feeling and which losses were tougher, what strategies are, goals, things like that. But Venus plays things very close to the vest and just sort of seems, right, like you said, just a bit on an island, just playing just for herself. And it's this very sort of, I don't know, it feels it all feels very private with Venus in an interesting way for a pro athlete. Yeah. It's, it feels like a very yeah. sort of meditative, not meditative is too much of a word, but, you know, feels very private compared to especially like how Serena has been so public and so done a lot of social media and stuff, especially since her around her childbirth and stuff and at a much higher profile than Venus. Um, it's an interesting, I think, comparison between the two and how introverted she can be as an athlete in her maybe that's the wrong word again but um yeah in terms of her like private, private. I, yeah, mean, privacy. I mean private and a little bit closed yeah definitely closed you know yeah. as she's gotten old you know like and again like not in a bad way in a very in this in the way that many of us are in certain situations because you have to be right and so just to protect yourself or because you know you're just in a different stage of your career and um, so yeah, so I, I just kind of think that, that, that Venus is playing and she's playing for her pride and she's playing for, you know, maybe some goals in her own, in her own mind that she's trying to check off. But, um, and so, uh, yeah, I just kind of let Venus be Venus and do her thing because she's doing it pretty well. She is. And her sister, Serena, who we mentioned, uh, she played in that, what I thought was very good Indy Wells third round match. Serena won two matches in Indy Wells against Zarina Diaz in the first round and Kiki Burtons in the second round, both in straight sets and lost to Venus in straights and then went on to lose in a very absurdly tough first round match against the Indian Wells champ, Miami Osaka in Miami earlier today, Wednesday. We were pretty pessimistic on the show, Courtney, about Serena after that Fed Cup doubles match, which was the first we saw of her. Since then, we saw her in those two tournaments I just mentioned and the Madison Square Garden exhibition, if you want to include that. Um, where, what, what do you, what have you learned from seeing Serena in these four matches? Well, I'm way less pessimistic than I was. Agreed. That's for, that's for sure. No, I would, I have on the whole, I'm very impressed by the four matches that I got to see of, from Serena during her comeback. I thought that she is way further along than I was giving her credit for before based off of the public appearances that she had made um, and not being particularly impressed. But when she played and, you know, within the first probably five or six games, five or six games against Diaz, that first set, she started to kind of lock in a little bit more and that got better and better with each match. I think that she's played. Um, I think with Osaka, there was, there was a, um, uh, maybe a little bit of a, not tenseness, that's not the right word, but, there was a little bit more of an edge, I think, to this match um, from from Serena's side of just kind of, you know, it's a tough, <laughs> tough opening rounder. You're playing somebody who considers you their idol. You don't want to betray any of that. And, and I don't know, it can be an emotionally, emotionally complicated match to play. Mm. But all in all, I mean, I was I was super impressed. I think the serve is, is getting there. Um, and I mean, I, I, I kind of think what I thought, I guess, back when we were discussing before, I mean, Watch out for Wimbledon. I think that there's there's a lot to be said about what how much better she can get within the next few months. But um, yeah, she's like 
months ahead of where I thought she was. I agree. And I, just months, even within the couple weeks or since the month, I guess, roughly since Fed Cup. Um, Fed Cup, I, and I also was thinking maybe it's just doubles that she looked less comfortable in the singles. Maybe she hadn't been practicing any doubles, which would make sense. Why was she practicing doubles during right. this comeback? And and she hasn't, and honestly, Venus and Serena have turned in some, as much as they've played well, they've also turned in some weird doubles results and some pretty sort of surprising out of nowhere losses in between all their Grand Slam titles and Olympic golds. Um, so maybe doubles is just a, a terrible place to assess her. Because even in that Madison Square Garden match against Zhang Shuai, her second tie break there, I thought she was much better than I had ever expected her to be that night um, mm. in that strange exhibition-ish, but still trying format. Um, and yeah, against, against Diaz and Burton's, Burton's, I thought Burton's, she fought back several times against Burton's and competed really well in that match. Burton's played better than I expected her to. I guess everyone's always going to raise their game against Serena, especially maybe against a Serena who's seen as more vulnerable. It's a chance for these players to get um, a, a win over Serena they can tell their grandkids about that they will leave out any asterisks on when they tell the stories. Um, so the stakes feel high for her opponents, maybe more than usual. Um, yeah, I, I thought she was pretty impressive today against Osaka, Osaka was just good. Like Serena got her footwork did not look great. A couple times where Osaka hit the ball just sort of hard down the middle and Serena was flummoxed more than I'm used to seeing her be. But those things can be cleaned up with, with practice and matches. I hope that she plays more of a schedule than she did in 2017 uh, or sorry, 16. Uh, I hope that she plays Madrid and Rome and the French. She's going to play clay. I assume she will play clay. And I hope she plays a decently full clay schedule. Maybe throw in Charleston, too. Um, That'd be fun. Yeah, I, th I think there's no reason why she shouldn't. I mean, she's healthy. She's not injured. And it's a tournament that she's done well at before. That's sort of a nice transition between clay and hard, or hard and clay. Um, she's won it twice in 12 and 13 and one time before that, I think in 2008. Um, so it's, it's a happy place for her. She, the crowds have loved her there. So I'm going there. So I just selfishly want Serena to be there, she's too. Um, it's a weird like say anything you holding the big stereo up trying to get Serena right? to come to Charleston. I know, pretty much declaration. I know, um, yeah, but I, I think that I think that she needs and if, if not there, maybe Stuttgart, which she's mentioned, where I won't be. Um, she's mentioned wanting to play there. It's some sort of odd bucket list event for her, and why not go and get a Porsche playing in Stuttgart? You know, so that could be an option too, and. Just whatever it is, I'd like to see her on court more because she's making some progress. And I think the as as experienced as she is and as good as she is, matches is what she probably needs most at this point um, in terms of getting her rhythm back and getting back to a comfort level where she'll be able to be in situations like playing someone who idolizes her and it won't be won't be weird. But yeah, it, it's definitely not a soft landing for her back in tour to have her first two tournaments have to play venus and osaka that's that's rough definitely rough any other women's stories you want to highlight before we move to the dudes from indian wells um i mean it was a great tournament for just a lot of young americans and amanda nisimova mm -hmm. i think was a big story breaking uh and ending uh, Petra Kvitova's 14-match win streak right. and, and beating Pavlychenkova as well. And I think as people started to see her play more, again, it's just these opportunities to play, you know, on main courts and let people see you and be impressed by you. That changes everything. But um, her backhand is absolutely world-class. So that was pretty cool to see. Caroline Dolahide 
a player that I think more yeah. people will like when her name pops up on an order of play. I think more play more fans will be more inclined to like tune in to watch her matches. Such an interesting game style and loved how she took it to Simona Halep. I thought that match was was really fun and really good. So she was um, she was cool. She was like she was cool. She was very much she was by far the most stoserish of the young players I've seen, or stoserish player I've seen since Stoser. Really, in terms of the kick serve being a huge part of her game. Big Top's been probably more raw power than Sam has off the ground. And that shot that she took at um at Simona when Simona was at the net in that match. Bless. That was just it was ballsy in a way that I just respected. And Simona's glare afterwards was pretty hilarious. And I, I like seeing, you know, the kids be undaunted. Um Oh, for sure. Yeah, and, and, and she comes from her sister. I saw a play back at the Bronx Challengers. So that's where I knew the last name from before. Courtney Dolhide is now the coach at Georgetown. Um, so she's from a, I think come completely out of nowhere and people, have, and she played Madison Keys at Stanford last year, right? And played her decently and tough. And nearly beat her yeah. in three sets. So she's someone to keep an eye out for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sasha no, Vickery. There was also. just like a lot. Yeah. Sasha Vickery also, Danielle Beating. Collins. Yeah. There were like a lot of like young Americans doing stuff. And I was like pretty impressed by it. In the yeah, Vondrosheva Vandros- had a good tournament. Sofia Zhuk mm-hmm. mid third round. It was a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of breakouty stuff happening at that tournament. I guess which makes sense because it's a big draw. So there's a lot of opportunity for stuff to happen. But uh, I think still... also one of the things that I think was does have some play in in kind of how well, I mean I, I guess I would need more data sets, but now with like you know that Oracle Challenger series before, so they have a one twenty or like a big one twenty five mm-hmm. in Newport beach in january and then one in india wells week before and if you're the highest performer at the the combined of those two events then you get a wild card and if you're the second best then you also get a wild card and i think that there's a lot to be said about you know those sorts of Mm play-in type events and then actually then giving wild cards to people who are actually playing well yeah and then those players then having a significant impact on the draw and you know dolahide is the one that won that oracle um, wild card and then Anisimova was the second so that's how she got hers hmm. so you know I mean and I think on the men's side as well that there was something about that as well like the guys who had played them played themselves in like were playing Fritz, pretty well maybe. and like was Fritz one maybe of them? Fritz yeah possible but yeah so I just thought it was interesting to kind of think about yeah no I think that's a good good shout too and we've seen that before with uh, the way Wimbledon does its wild cards where they give just wild cards to non-brits who do well at the grass court challengers essentially mm-hmm. or the grass court itfs before and those tend to even if they don't always pay out into wimbledon runs it's i think a very good way of setting up because you want players who are at their best and, and not just players who as much as it's fine to give them to a, a past you know familiar name or a young kid who's needs a hand up in the world or gets a hand up whether they need it or not um yeah and i think momentum wild cards are pretty good pretty good thing and I, I i think that's sort of true in tennis in general and there's been talk about seedings and if seedings should have been different for this serena osaka match where uh, osaka was unseated even though she was number 22 this week and serena was number one when she went on maternity leave um i don't know i obviously it would take a major tennis rule shift but some sort of more short-term computerized power rankings that did something like bump up the seeding of an osaka who's fresh off a huge title the week before makes some sense in my mind but i'm not sure how exactly it would work out but i think momentum is as we know a lot in the sport as anybody who played petra kvitova 
the month of February, I could tell you. For sure. And it's also one of those things, too, where you wonder, though, on the flip side, it's also incredibly cruel to, like, absolutely penalize a player for getting hurt for three weeks. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like a 52-week ranking system allows for those moments. Whereas when you start going based off of momentum or something like that as an additional factor, it kind of does less. No, sure. It's, it's, it values different things for sure, and it punishes and rewards different things. And the argument, I, I think, there, I think overall, it'd be too comp. I could, I wouldn't be confident in being able to change the current system totally for the better to make it worthwhile. But I think it's a fair bar stool debate to have. Um, sure. Speaking of a guy who doesn't need any ranking shifting at all, Roger Federer is number one, stayed number one by making it decently deep in Indian Wells and had match point against, or two match points against Juan Martín del Potro and lost uh, that match. Juan Martín del Potro finally won his first Masters title, which is one of those sort of amazing stats uh, that he hadn't had one before and had not made very many finals actually uh, before this, but he gets one there and is now back in the top uh, I don't know what his ranking is, but it's better than it was before this week, I'm sure. Uh, people happy for Juan in the desert, I imagine, Courtney. I'm sure I'm sure. even as a WTA person, when Juan does well at a tournament, when Delpo does well, people are just smiling more. <laughs> I guess he does have that uh, that effect. I mean, yeah, like I said, like going into the final at Indian Wells, any combination of results from those four finalists was going to be a good one, you know, for just for tennis. I mean, mm-hmm. Roger going 18 and 0 would be massive. Delpo obviously winning massive. Naomi, Daria, all good. Um so but it was it was just a great final was really kind of my, what my big takeaway was from it and just that a lovely kind of reminder, maybe not a reminder, a fun one for Fed fans, but <laughs> like a, f- a fun reminder that like Juan Martin Del Potro just is that guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's that guy who just like it doesn't matter who what's going on in his life like whatever but like he steps on the across the net from roger Federer, and just something special happens <laughs> like he gets morphed or something it's incredible so it was like fun to see obviously delpo play well again and um yeah i mean i think that in the grand scheme of things after all of the the pullouts and the early exits you know i think that Federer del potro was the best final that 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 the boys could get and they actually got it and it was great and it lived up to the hype. I mean, that's, you know, you're, you're batting a thousand at that point. Yeah. Cause there were some odd pockets in that draw. Yeah. It sure. really could have broken really badly. Which I feel like, and again, it it's sort of like the story of the ATP that almost was. And I feel like outside of the U S open where the bottom half completely imploded in terms of recognized star names, um, all the other draws have kind of held up despite, this underlying current of like lava chaos it's like that scene in aladdin where he's hopping across the rocks to make it to the lamp i feel like that's roger federer and the tour every week and roger's footwork has been really good right and then and then and then i guess and then is this in this analogy is delpo abu who like grabs the jewel and screws everything up Okay. But like, but... First of all, you're like villainizing him. No, but Abu's a, a Abu's a lovable like a lovable troublemaker, and he but and he does it. He waits long enough that Roger can still get the lamp and it's still number one. Everything works out fine for Aladdin in the end. Spoiler, it's all okay. 
Mega spoiler. <laughs> Weird. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I don't. It... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't really have. I'm like, do I have other thoughts about it? I'm like, I'm not entirely sure I do. Oh, George, George obviously oh, yeah. was up on Raj and and then but early on it was like team and all those guys. And then finally, I think Chilich lost. And then it was like, uh oh, right. Yeah. So Borna Chorich made was actually on his way to beating Roger Federer in that match. And that Roger had to turn that match around pretty sharply to get through that five, seven, six, four, six, four. And Chorich beat Anderson, which was a pretty big surprise, I thought, in the quarters because Anderson had been pretty clean. And Sam Query had a shot at making top 10 for the first time and fell just short against Ronich. That was a bad match. That Quarry Ronich match was not good. Um, <laughs> and yeah, Delpo. And then, yeah, and Cole Schreiber had a great run out of nowhere and beat Chillich and made yes, the quarters. Yes, that was it. That was, yeah. That was strange, but good for Philip. Yeah, team got hurt. Team rolled his ankle. Just got, scrolling back through this draw, refreshing myself. And he, yeah, and he's, is he out of Miami? He's he is out, out of Miami, Miami yeah. Team. So hopefully yeah. he's good for Clay, which is obviously where he earns his living. Uh, the WTA version of that, um, of that, uh, uh, Chilich result, by the way, mm-hmm. of of Cole Schreiber beating Chilich, was Carlos Suarez Navarro straight setting Alina's fiddle. Yeah, what was that? Would surprise me. I woke up to that result or saw that result later. And was that was that was confused. Like low key, the most stunning upset to, for me at Indian Wells. I was like, what? Where did this come from? Um, but Carla was an absolute delight, and it was great. And I love her new hair, and it's wonderful. Oh my gosh, was <laughs> I was gonna have to pivot to her hair, of course. I was like, where did it come from? Obviously, her Samson-like powers of her great hair, <laughs> which someone on Twitter—I should know who—I'd forget—compared lovingly to Rambo, which I totally agree with. At this point, it's gone through some interesting iterations. Her hair this year, and I hope that it keeps going because it's like it's a beautiful Rorschach test of your soul looking at her hair it's true yeah it's just great other results i mean first week results um oh gosh, and Demi- oh, I... beat dimitrov in the first ah round, yes first or second round of indian wells that was a surprise dimitrov has not had a good year which is again not surprising i guess because he did that whole thing that people do where you go deep in the world tour finals and then are tired he's sort of being like a 2017 Sibulkova, i guess even though he his his finals run didn't come as out of nowhere as hers did, but um or but I guess oh actually at the same time maybe it did I don't know, um yeah Grigors hasn't had a good year, uh good start twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen, rather anyway is that right I thought did he not win Brisbane no he did not win Brisbane, uh, no. did he not won win Brisbane. Sydney. <laughs> I don't think he played Sydney. I guess you're right. I mean, no, I'm just like, really? Has he not had a good start of the year? But no, I, he I lost. Well, right. he played one really good match in Australia against Kyrgios in Melbourne and beat Kyrgios there. Ah, but before right. that, he okay. had really struggled against Mackie McDonald. He That's had right. struggled in some other matches there. Let me pull up Grigor's year real quick. Sorry, I didn't mean to drag you, Grigor. I genuinely just no, didn't he's think a top, that you were playing that badly. He's a top five <laughs> player. He's fair game at this point um he i guess gregor did make a final of rotterdam which i completely missed um and he lost to federer there uh Mm -hmm. he lost first round of dubai to jaziri uh which i'd forgotten but now rings a bell and yeah he lost that's right though because i i thought that he had made a final so it must have been Rotterdam. yeah he made rotterdam and he beat that's where he hit uh or he hit the ball that wound up hitting Goffin in the eye um in that semifinal and then uh yeah Yeah, he didn't look good in, in Brisbane. He went, he, I think he saved match point against John Millman and then had that messy match against Kyle Edmund where Kyle Edmund got hurt and he lived over the net. Yeah, and then he struggled in 
Melbourne against Mackie McDonald before, uh, and then before convincingly beating Kyrgios in a really, really good match, only to then lose to Kyle Edmund in the quarters. Uh, so yeah, so Dimitrov, maybe we'll get it together in Miami. It's a good opening round against Maximilian Martyrer. Uh, yeah. That's Grigor. That's Grigor. That's Grigor. We got a few questions from people we can get to. We wrap up the show. Uh, one question, another play we haven't mentioned really yet, from Ian asks, what's going on with Karolina Pliskova? Her results seem to have slipped since her unexpected RG semifinal. And I realize as I read this question, I meant to mention earlier, speaking of slipping, Maria Sharapova. So we'll answer the Pliskova part first. Uh, I thought this was, I thought you were still reading from his question. (laughs) I was like, what? Okay, sorry. Yeah, Ian's really rambling. No, that's just me. Yeah. Uh, No, so let's start with with Pliskova. I will say, I've, as someone, as people who listen to this show with any regularly know, I was very high on the Pliskova supply first half of last year. Uh, I thought she was destined to be an emphatic number one for a long time. And she did get to number one last year, actually, which people, I feel like, forget. But, um, she just hasn't been impressive lately. It, just nothing in her game seems to have as much punch as it used to for me. Her serve has not been getting her as many free points, and whether that's strategic or not, I'm not sure, but the overall effect is her winning fewer points on it, I think. And her ground strokes don't seem to be as devastating or as surefire as they were. And I don't know, I, I've been I've been concerned with Pliskova. I know there's been a bunch of upheaval in Czech tennis in terms of her coach and other coaches. I don't know if that's affecting her or what's going on, but I I, I don't know. Pliskova for me has been low-key unconvincing lately. Have you felt, is there a similar vibe, do you think, or is am I just off base with that? No, I, I think there's a, probably a similar vibe and, um, you know, I've definitely dumped and gi- uh, not dumped, jumped into the numbers to try and figure out you know, statistically where things have gotten soft with her and, you know, her serve speeds down, her, her, her win percentage behind, or her ace count is definitely lower. Her win percentage behind, I think maybe first serve is down as well, but she's still holding a lot of the other like statistical categories pretty strongly. I'm still in the process of figuring out the numbers anyway. So I add all this with a caveat. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that she and I asked her about it at Indian Wells after she lost to Osaka. Um, and I asked her, you know, do you what's going on with the serve? You know, you're you're hitting fewer aces and things like that. And she said, well, I she did put put out the idea that she thinks that maybe players are reading where her where she's serving better. Hmm, possible. Now going through like, you know, two or three or four cycles of seeing her serve. Um, so she, she, she said that I kind of feel like they know where it's going more often than not. I was like, okay. So she's working on improving that. Um, and then just also, she always does cite the idea that, like I said, her, her conversion rate in her games is not necessarily, you know, um, that much lower these days on the game points and that she's improved as a returner. So she's breaking more, but I agree with you. I mean, I test she she's not the big hitter that i probably once would have touted her to be she just seems to like she's in a lower gear or just a little bit switching from kill to stun yeah i think she's i think that on some level she was trying to kind of like become a more well-rounded player and maybe the needle went a little too far yeah that sounds like ivanovich syndrome right there 
yeah, Ivanovich has it. Even a Kvitova has it sometimes when yeah. she's low in confidence. She's she starts running at the back of the court, and you're like, what are you doing? Yeah. So you know it's common, and and when you're but but you know I I do I do think that she recognizes that recognizes that there's an issue because she knows that because she's getting broken a lot more than she was before. And when Pliskova gets broken, like that's like a source of pride. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she's like, how dare you? So shit's happening a lot. And if she's under that pressure, she's definitely unnerved then on in every other aspect of her game. And just from the way she talks about her tennis, like I trust that she is not, I trust that she has a really good head on her shoulders about her tennis. Like she's a very reliable in all my experiences with her, a very reliable narrator about her own game. And she will not be, if she, and if, I don't know if she is panic, I don't think panic is at all required word, but if she feels like things are not where they should be, she will not be in denial about that. I would think from my experiences yeah. with Carolina. Um, I think that that's true. Yeah. And so I, I think that I expect her to get better. I don't know if this current coaching setup she's had so far, um with which which one which one does she have now she has thomas um, thomas uh, krupa if if that's i hasn't had a great result so far give that some more time hopefully um but but we'll see because it's been I, I i think ian's right to point this out that i think it hasn't gotten much coverage uh that her last eight months have been pretty underwhelming after an incredible start to last year that got her number one and then i mentioned sharapova before i meant to mention sharapova when we were talking about older players from the williamses we were talking about Maria Sharapova, I meant to talk about her on the show last time after she lost to Nicolescu in the Middle East, but it has not been a good 2018 for Maria uh, by her standards. And it wasn't a good 2017, really, after her comeback. There were reasons for that with the injuries. But overall, she just hasn't been the same player on court. And I was not surprised to see her part with Sven Grunefeld, even if the timing was unexpected. I didn't expect it necessarily that week. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think... Maria has significant sort of in terms of her where her tennis is going has a lot of cause for concerns in terms of a bit like I said about Pliskova not having the same sort of punch or edge Maria just doesn't seem like herself or the old Maria I guess you can say um, consistently in this post ban iteration uh, Courtney would you agree or do you how much cause for concern or major work is there for Maria I mean, I think that the most frustrating thing about it has just been how her body has let her down mm. since the comeback. It's not – the level in and of itself doesn't concern me that much. I mean, we know that how hard she can compete and how hard she can fight. And even if her power levels are down by just a smidge, it wouldn't have concerned me too much. But, you know, getting hurt last year um, with the hip, you know, um, on clay and having that derail things. And once – you know, you have those sorts of injuries, especially those core injuries that you can't really rest all that much. You you lose a lot um, of of fitness and things like that. And then you're just back up against it. And we've seen this happen not just with her. I mean, many, many players will say, like, that's the toughest part is, like, trying to play while you're injured. And when you get older, those injuries are more frequent and you are forced to, to try and, you know, find the solution um, on how to fix your body. But, um, but yeah, so I don't think that that was great. Obviously, she finished the season, I thought, well. I mean, she obviously had that run at the U.S. Open, wins a title in Tianjin, yeah. all good. Um, but the start of the season, again, it's been it's been injury marred. Um, she clearly had, like, this huge uh, 
um, bag of ice on her sh- on her wrist when she was doing her press conference in India Wells, which she was covering up like as much as she could with her sweatshirt and trying not to draw attention to it. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, the body is if the body's not 100 percent, then, you know, what can you do? And, and she is older. I mean, this is this is an older Maria than from before the suspension. And, you know, the body does just doesn't it's picking up these core injuries that don't make sense. You know, yeah. or like over, I mean, the wrist is overuse, but um, yeah. And so when you're behind like that, it's not a surprise that you're not playing that great. I think that, and it's worth pointing out that she had this left forearm injury before the ban. I think this, mm-hmm. I think, remember popped up in Wuhan one year. Is that the right on that? Uh, it was wrist. I, I can't remember if it was left I'm or right. I'm pretty sure it was left. I'm pretty sure it was her off wrist, but, or left off forearm, she called it, but yeah, she's she's gotten older, and like I was talking about with Rafa on the show a couple episodes ago or one episode ago, she was young when she started, so she's not a and she's played outside of the ban a relatively full schedule consistently, and I guess the shoulder injury too, but a pretty full schedule. And so when she won her first slam at seventeen and made, you know, a fourth round at Wimbledon at sixteen, she's not going to be a young thirty year old turning thirty one next month, and so things are going to catch up with her in a way that they haven't. And and again, Roger and Serena now and Venus have set the bar are, are outliers on the scale of what aging looks like in tennis. And it's not fair to just because you think it's, Oh, you know, 35 is the new 25. Like it's really not in right, terms exactly. of your body. I, it, that just doesn't make any, that's just not how it works. That's very, um, yeah. Hollow to say anything like that, or say that it's been a whole, across the board everyone is going to be better in an older age there will be some players who'll be able to make older age work and others won't and with marie but all that being said i think the physical parts of it have been definitely frustrating for her the, just the edge didn't hasn't seemed to be there for marie in a way that concerns me almost more the way the nicolescu match in the middle east more than osaka killed everybody and i'm not worried about that result for anybody any one of the concerned players who lost to osaka we could mention uh in this conversation but the way she lost to Nicolescu, that's just not a match I feel like she loses in previous iterations of herself. A match like against a sort of annoying but ultimately beatable opponent on court. I don't know. That that was the one that sort of set me back more being like, eh, this is not the Maria that I'm used to being the competitor that was her hallmark. And that goes back to last spring a little bit when she lost to um, Milenovic and Bouchard, which are two players I never would have thought Maria would sort of allow herself to lose to. Yeah, but I, I mean that those the, that comparison doesn't work for me. I mean, like because I I agree. I think that the loss to Nicolescu that was probably the worst match that I've seen from 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 Maria since she's been back. Mm-hmm. Um, just in terms of the a little bit of the level, a little bit, but mostly because of the attitude. And I think that, like you said, I mean, attitude is very rarely, uh, you know, a thing that she's lacking on the court. Like that is, you know, you that's for life. Right. Um, So. Yeah. And and I don't even put that anywhere near the category of her losses to Modenovic or Bouchard, because that would take a ton away as to how well her opponents played that day. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that, like, those were good matches and she came up short, but she didn't come up short. And they didn't come up. She didn't come up short because she stopped fighting. She came up short because she didn't execute or because of rust. But it wasn't because of the attitude. And so that's where the Nicolescu loss, I think, was a little bit more surprising because I, I was a little bit surprised by the attitude. But 
again, if, if your body's not 100% there and you're not sure that you have put in the hard work to get that win just because you don't know where your body's at, it, it's hard to, I don't know, maybe, I mean, I know, I know this from my personal experience. It's definitely way harder to like, you know, put on some sort of like false charade or show now that I'm older compared to when I was like 25. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a running out of fucks to give situation. It pretty life. much is. Yeah. yeah. So uh, speaking of staying or sane, a question from listener Allison on email who asks, how do you, the players and staff not go crazy with the often repetitive, sometimes bad music that is played during changeovers? Um, and I guess in Indy Wells, uh, the music in the stadium, and I'll ask you this first because you have more recent experience with this in Indy Wells, but the changeover music you can hear usually pretty clearly in the press room. Um, how do you ride that wave? Yeah. How, does that, how does that work, having a workplace where there's music and out there and other noise, but certainly a lot of Pitbull in our lives, more than most people. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough Pitbull in our lives, to be honest. Only heard it once at Indy Wells. Uh, um but no, I mean, I, I honestly can tune anything out. I just really don't hear it um, unless I want to. I will say, and I just wanted, because it's timely, I'll give the shout out. I do think that in the never ending kind of um, battle between all of like the DJs at all the tournaments, I kind of feel like Indian Wells may have edged ahead. I think they've always I think been the ahead. the DJ there was super good, huh? I think they've always been number one in my book, actually. No, Montreal, Montreal, DJ up in Montreal is pretty solid. Okay, I'm not aware of that one. Um, okay. Yeah, no, Montreal guy is pretty good. Miami's okay. It's 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 there. A lot of techno. Yeah, but like, but otherwise, no, I don't, I don't really listen that much. A lot of times I'm watching streams on mute or watching TV, the tennis on mute. So I just don't hear a lot of, a lot of the, the songs, but I can't remember the last time where... Like there was a song that like totally dr- like drilled itself into my head because of tennis. It was probably by Pink. Oh no, it wasn't by Pink because that's my soul. That has nothing to do with tennis. Uh, no, that that whistling song. It's like a rap song, maybe uh, uh, that involved whistling. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that song. <laughs> that song got into got into my head for like six months, and I was really annoyed by it. But that's about it. Speaking of Pitbull, though, like I've heard so much Pitbull, not just that one Pitbull song, which we do, which I'll make an outro for this episode. Uh, <laughs> feel this moment, uh, and Courtney and I've marveled at Christina Aguilera's emotive, oh. wonderful performance in that music video. Uh, it's the best song, but it's an even better video. <laughs> um, but but I was at trivia. Um, one I do I go to trivia fair amount when I'm in home in DC and one week it was like the host was doing like a troll music round that was all pitbull songs mm-hmm. and like art because of me like and it was like one point for the title one point for like him and like who it's featuring and if it's pitbull featuring the person or the person featuring pitbull and because solely because of tennis I did like so much better on this round than anybody else there <laughs> and I was not even remotely ashamed I still have that answer sheet somewhere in my room that's good that's stuff. Clicking off like, oh yeah, that oh that's DJ Gattis falling in love. Yeah, that's definitely that's like Usher featuring Pitbull. Yeah, that, I was it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Um, so yeah, I, it's one of those interesting. I think everybody has that at work. I imagine unless you work from home, you're not going to totally control your environment. Yeah, and and just as much of the distraction in tennis, really more as other things happen in the press room. If you're in the press room, yeah, exactly. Other people, other conversations you're sitting next to, other dramas going on having especially at the u.s open or i'm sorry not not just us Open, but any grand slam or any big tournament there's tons of matches going on at once trying to keep your focus on just one of them the music is kind of 
often the least challenging part of it. For players, I don't know um, if it's uh, if, how much they'd pay attention. Who was the player who was singing along to Roar? Was it ATP player? Oh, Sitsipas maybe. It might have I think been it was Sitsipas. Sitsipas. Let's go with that. I think it was. I think it was Sitsipas who was sitting on a changeover, singing along to WTA anthem "Roar" by <laughs> Katy Perry, uh, which I thought was pretty wonderful. But yeah, usually the players don't seem to notice. No, doesn't seem like. Uh, so that'll do it. Thank you guys very much for listening to this episode of No Challenges Remaining. If you want to follow when you're not listening, you can do so by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ncrpodcasts. Follow us on Twitter as well, at ncr underscore tennis. Send us emails for questions for upcoming shows and ideas. We'll be together in Charleston. Hopefully get a guest or something on the show, like the old days. Oh, wow. We'll see. Maybe maybe an old familiar guest we'll find. I don't know. Um, we'll be there. No Challenges Remaining at gmail.com. Just email if I didn't say that already. I probably did. Courtney, do you have thoughts, rants, feelings? Sure. So uh, my rave for this week is going to be movie related. And um, so I saw back to back one movie. Well, two movies that obviously I wanted to see that I missed in the theater, but had also never really completed the other one. So I like rewatched it. But anyways, I watched uh, The Lobster and The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Those are two separate movie mm-hmm. titles. Uh, Watch them kind of back to back day after the other. And I kind of got to give like a massive shout out to the weirdness and just psychological messed up of it all of these two films. Like they were really good. I highly recommend them. They're very weird. They're directed by um, written, I think, and directed by um, this Greek, I presume, uh, director Yorgos Lenthimos. Um, mm. And um they're weird, they're metaphorical, abstract kind of art movies, basically. Um, but they both star Colin Farrell, weirdly. Oh, naturally. Yeah, obviously, as one would think. Nicole Kidman is in one of them. Uh, Kate Wise, or, um, Rachel Wise is in the other one. Anyways, they are both really great. I would highly recommend that you watch them. And if you have no one to talk to about them with, hit me up on the Twitter. Happy to discuss them. Uh, the Lobster would... and Killing of a Secret Deer. I've heard a lot about The Lobster. I would happily watch that with you in Charleston. Okay. And the other movie I would also like to see with you that I feel like is also weird and I don't know much about and I won't, don't want spoilers. I feel like I've gotten some weird spoilers that were so out there they just don't compute to me is Mother. <laughs> I need to see Mother still. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know if okay. I will watch Mother again with you. Not because of okay. you, but because it would be involved watching Mother again. Fair. But I do want you to see it. I do want to see it too. I, I feel like I need to do that to myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. My uh, my rant is much less interesting. Um, the field for Eurovision 2018 is set, and I'm really frustrated at how lopsided the semifinals are. It's like the men's U.S. Open 2017 of Eurovisions. It's like Yee. all the good songs this year are in the first semifinal, and the second semifinal has like every like some big countries, but almost none of the songs are any good at all, and it's just going to lead to car- carnage in the top half, so to speak, and. I'm worried that some of my favorites, like this Czech Spaghetti Boy and the Israeli Chicken Woman, both of which are completely legitimate descriptions of what the songs are, might stumble or, or some of the other better songs won't get through. Um, Estonia is a big betting favorite, but I don't, or not like the favorite, but a betters like it. it's like in second or third, and I don't get that at all. Opera never does that well at Eurovision. Uh, so... <laughs> so yeah, so I, I, I'm curious to see how it shakes out. I'm going to Lisbon. Oh, wow. Okay. Year, which I'm very excited about for the second time. 
So I feel more personally invested. When is that? In this group of people. It's uh, the week of Madrid. Ah, okay. So I'll be nearby. Uh, and yeah, I'm curious to see how it goes. And it's just sad because like, there's some decent songs in the first semifinal, like Macedonia, which has no shot of making it through, but would cruise through the second semifinal. So shout out to IQ, spelled E-Y-E-C-U-E, of Macedonia. <laughs> And their song, which will <laughs> do nothing. I feel like I should make it the outro, but I already promised it to Christina Aguilera. So we'll give it to Xtina. IQ. IQ. Their song is interesting. Their song is three completely separate songs. You just sort of alternate. There's this one. It starts off with this, like, sort of, like, Sarah McLaughlin-y sounding mm-hmm. thing. And then it switches to this, like, weird reggae thing. Mm-hmm. And then it switches to this sort of, like, really sort of stompy empowerment pop like i guess like a Katy perry or icon of pop thing and it just like rotates back to sarah mclaughlin like it's just it's so disjointed but that won't matter your vision remotely no like why send one song when you can send three <laughs> um so yeah so i'm yeah cyprus might not make it it's anyway it's tough it's i have a lot of all advanced like pity for these songs that are struggling and uh yeah that's that but the israeli chicken woman is really cool and i've tweeted her if you haven't seen her you guys you should look up israel's <laughs> 2018 Eurovision entry, which is called Toy. <laughs> and that's that. Oh, bless your heart. I try. <laughs> and <laughs> feel this moment with us, and we'll see you guys from Charleston. Bye. Dale. <laughs> Worldwide. Worldwide. From the tallest building in Tokyo. building in Tokyo. Long way from them hallways. Filled with souls and oh yes. She read books, especially about red rooms and tie-ups. I got her hooked. Cause she see me in a suit with a red tie tied up. Eight nice to meet you. But Tam is money. Only difference is I own it. Now let's stop Tam and enjoy this moment. One day, while my light is glowing.